0: On this episode of the podcast, Westover tells a tale about when a penny-pinching owner and an angry beat writer drove out a team superstar. Wow. Yeah. I love it when the media plays a role. Oh, yeah. I think they should drive out every superstar. <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised the media hasn't driven out KD yet. Not he's, yet. He's just so petty. Give him time. I'm, him time. I'm sure. That'd be an amazing way to go out. <laughs> <laughs> just Someone tweets at him, he's like, that's it. I quit. <laughs> I've never played basketball <laughs> but, again recline that sofa and loosen that tie because this is mismanaged welcome to mismanaged a weekly podcast where we kick back and criticize the failings of paid sports professionals while also offering them foolproof solutions to all their management woes I'm Austin Egan. I'm Josh Sleazy, and I'm Nathaniel Westover. Let's get into it. This week we are talking the MLB. Warning to any and all Mets fans: you may want to cover your ears or continue putting your faith in the legend of <laughs> Donnie
1: Stevenson. Or well, hey, you won seven straight now. You're yeah, up.
0: because of Donnie Stevenson, <laughs> the legendary hitting coach that they just recently found out doesn't exist. It's just Pete Alonso. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I feel like we talk about the
2: Mets, Jets, Nets, and was the other one Rangers on this podcast quite a lot. Have we talked about the Jets yet? I'm sure oh, we'll get there. Yet. Oh, we'll
0: get to the Jets, but I think so far they've been the Packers,
1: unscathed. and uh, we make jokes about the Jets. Uh, yeah, that
0: makes sense. All the time. I'm Poor Jets. They'll. They're okay. They got Zach Wilson. I'm pride sure
2: BYU. I'm sure he'll be great. Right. we will see the bat. I'm sure he'll be awful. <laughs> It'll be... <laughs> and I'm sure no one will have any patience for him.
1: New York. But we're not here to talk about the Jets. We're here to talk about the Mets. Hey. And their early choices or mistakes as a franchise. Okay. So many. There's there's a handful. The Mets are one of baseball's first expansion teams that came out of both when the Dodgers and the Giants were like, you know what? The West Coast sounds fun. Let's dip. So... The Dodger blue and the Giants orange just kind of fell into the sewers in New York and outrose the the teenage mutant ninja turtles, the New York <laughs> <laughs> Metropolitan
0: Baseball Club Incorporated. A bad name. It's such a bad <laughs> name. <laughs> or the Mets. That's why their mascot's just a giant baseball hat. Mr. Met. <laughs> Mr. Met. Mr. Metropolitan.
1: The Mets came stumbling into existence and didn't really find a solid footing as an organization for a good handful of years. <laughs> their first year of existence, the Mets went 40 and 120. Uh leaving their bad. manager Casey Stengel to be quoted saying, "Can anyone here play this game? <laughs> Why are <laughs> we here? Why are you so
0: bad?" Their
1: their 40 and 120 record is the Worst record of the 100 and once they had 160 162 game seasons, uh-huh. uh, at two at 0. 0.250. There is a worse season, somebody had a winning percentage of 0. 0.248. Oof, yeah, that's pretty horrible. Yeah, they also passed up on drafting Reggie Jackson with the first overall pick in 1966 due to reported racial issues because.
2: Because baseball. Because baseball. Wow. You, you never expect it to be New York. <laughs> mm. You never expect it to be America's game. That's racist. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah.
1: oh, and boy. the guy in charge of this all was M. Donald Grant, in charge of baseball operations as a minority owner of the team. Grant was never known as a baseball knowledgeable person Uh <laughs> He only he became a part of the Mets organization through his friendship with the majority owner Joan Payson. Cool. At her passing, he was put in charge of baseball operations, while her daughter Lorinda Del Roulette was named baseball president of operations. So she was in charge of like the business sides, and he was supposed to be in charge of baseball. But so he just, was
2: only there because he knew a guy. Yeah, oh, knew, and so he was she, he was she a, she a minority put... owner of the Dodgers
1: or the Giants, and he was oh, okay. one of the like two people that was like. <laughs> no, let's not go to the West Coast. And
0: everybody's like... Mm-hmm. Seems like a conflict of interest. You yep. know, you so would. she just like willed the mm-hmm. team to him? <laughs> part of it. Like, well, the baseball operations part. <laughs> do we suspect foul play? <gasps> bum, bum, bum. There are... No, there are. <laughs> also foul play. My... F- foul That's a foul. Good... Oh boy. Yeah, that one. Josh explains it better. Thanks.
2: What were you saying? Give me the details of this woman's death.
0: I don't know the deal. I think it was just old age. <laughs> they, uh, you call yourself a journalist. Or, you know, cheering for the Mets for too long. <laughs> they don't your vitality.
2: <laughs> just owning the Mets franchise has drained her of her life.
1: I have to imagine. But we're here to talk about what the Mets did when they found their first superstar player, Tom Seaver. Ooh, the a franchise. Player that, yeah, I've he was called him. the franchise. Until one fateful night on June 15th, 1977.
0: No <laughs> they stripped him of his nickname. Well, We're taking the franchise back. <laughs>
1: kind of, because this date lives in infamy for Mets fans, young and old. It is called the Midnight Massacre. Did Tom Does Seaver- he
0: die? <laughs> no, Tom Seaver killed a bunch oh,
1: of people. No! no. <laughs> they killed their team. Aww. To start, I want to continue to press how the Mets kind of fumbled their way through the seasons and had... The dumbest of luck, good and bad, even with their acquisition of Tom Seaver out of college. Uh-huh. Seaver went to USC, and after a sophomore season where he went 10-2, and he was drafted by the Dodgers in the 10th round of the first ever MLB draft in 65. Cool. But the Dodgers ended up not signing him because Tom Seaver asked for a $70,000 signing bonus. Cool. Seems like a lot of money in whatever year this is. 65. Yep. Yes. Can okay. confirm. So Seaver was like, All "Can right, you
0: confirm that?"
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Back in '65, that was a lot of money. He's and not I was, wrong. I was making like fifty cents an hour back then. You'll see the comparison
1: of what? seventy thousand dollars <laughs> to another fine. Because so Seaver intended to go back uh, and play for his junior year, when in January of '66 the Braves drafted him in a free agency draft because this was the beginnings of when they had those. Uh, those clauses we talked about in the collusion.
0: Uh oh yeah, like the um exclusive the rights. The exclusive
1: right. rights things, and when you lost players, yeah. you could just draft people. Uh and so he was drafted by the Braves in '66, where he signed to the farm team in Richmond in January. Even though USC's baseball season had already <sighs> technically started, like two weeks earlier with a few exhibition games that Cedar hadn't even didn't play in. Nice. Didn't appear in. But according to MLB rules, a team can't sign a player if they're to leave a season speed <coughs> gun. So the Richmond team was fined 500 bucks, and Atlanta's contract between Seaver was voided, with N- MLB commissioner William Eckert putting a three year ban on Atlanta from being able to just re sign him.
0: Okay. Oof. That's unfortunate. So
1: Seaver was like, all right, cool. I'll just go back to college.
2: How I didn't many play. times I... can I get drafted? It's cool. Baseball One a bunch, time. actually. Baseball a
1: bunch. Uh, But (laughs) Seaver's like, well, I didn't play pro ball, I haven't played college ball yet, so let's go back to college. Where it turns out his eligibility was revoked since he technically had signed a pro contract, even though he didn't play any games. Wait, what? (laughs) Uh But it was voided. He'd already signed it and uh, Come NCAA, on, USC. we know how
2: NCAA works. Oh yeah, that's, that's true. true. I shouldn't blame USC. I'm sorry I take that back. Seaver's
1: father was so pissed. He threatened to sue Major League Baseball for ruining his son's eligibility in college and not allowing him to play in the pros. So Eckert backed off and ruled that teams could match Atlanta's original contract and sign Seaver, allowing him to join a team.
0: Uh-huh. So he still screwed Atlanta? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he still was like yeah, no, Atlanta's still banned. But Anybody no, Atlanta, else, you, Atlanta, if you're interested. I mean, I already thought that banning them from signing him for three years was excessive. Yeah. It's like, give him a slap on the wrist. They can't sign him this year, but why well, would you... Well, it's the
1: rest of his college eligibility, essentially. Yeah, but
0: that's so that, that seems excessive. That seems and then true. you go further by saying, Anybody not else? only that, we're going to offer him up to literally everyone. Except you. Except
1: you. Well... The Phillies, Indians, and Mets all offered Seaver a contract. So, now, Eckert's got to choose what to do next. And to determine who would get the opportunity to sign Seaver, Eckert held a lottery where he literally put names in a hat and drew a name. Classic. And Sweet the Mets lottery. won. Awarded the draft rights to Tom Seaver. He'd immediately go play a AAA ball in Jacksonville, going 12-12 and with a 3.12 ERA, his first season in the minors and that was just in 66 67 he would make the major league team named to the all-star game that season and he would win rookie of the year
0: wow okay so Good playing third. all the big
2: mm-hmm.
1: yes starting out strong the mets overall were still a very bad team placing last or second to last every year until 1969 and the miracle mets nice this is the first year MLB started introducing divisions before this the Mets were either placing ninth or 10th in the 10-team National League, Mm -hmm. losing 100 wins or more in five of their seasons. They've been around for seven at this time.
0: That's a lot of losses. A lot of Ls. Oh, yes. Doesn't feel great, I'm sure.
1: So going into their eighth season, it's the first year with the National League East, with uh, the Cubs, the Pirates, the Cardinals, the Phillies, the newly added Expos, and the Mets.
0: Good luck, Expos. I'm sure you'll stand the test of time. We have so much material saying why that doesn't won't happen. I, I know.
2: Sarcasm.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Canada. Oh.
1: The Mets had a super streaky season, including an 11-game win streak. Tom Seaver had a 19-strikeout game, which included striking out 10 batters in a row, which is an MLB record. That's insane. Sounds impressive. But they also ended up getting no hit by Bob Moose and the Pirates, and also dropped 10 out of 12 games to the Astros. Yes, Bob Moose. I see your
0: face over there. Yes, that's a great name, isn't
1: it? It's a good baseball Bob name. Bob
0: Robert Mooseman. Mm. This is full God-given name. Yep.
1: And then August 14th, the Mets were 10 games out of first place behind the Cubs. Through the rest of August, the Mets would win 14 out of 17 and 24 out of 32 games in the months of September and October, finishing with a record of 162. While the Cubs would collapse at the end of the season, resulting in an 18 game swing in favor of the Mets taking first place and making the playoffs. The Cubs essentially lost out the final two and a half months of the season.
2: Whoa. When you said their record of 100 wins and 62 losses, I just heard the record of 162. I was like, like, they went perfect? They never (laughs) lost a game?
0: No wonder they're called the Miracle Mets. That's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to win every game, every single game. will will be incredible. Pieces.
1: The Mets would go on to sweep the division champion Braves in three games. Ah, before- stupid Atlanta. Yeah. Oh, that has to hurt. <laughs> mm. Before being matched up against the heavily favored Orioles in the World Series. Seaver would actually lose game one uh, in the World Series to the Orioles, only giving up two runs. Mm. But... The Mets would end up winning four straight to become the first expansion team to win a World Series. This was also Seaver's first year winning the Cy Young at the end of the season. He'd also win two more in 73, when they made the World Series, losing cool. to the A's, nice. and 75. The Mets would return to being an average team, roughly winning around 83 games a season, including but still making the playoffs in 73, losing to the A's. Things are looking up, though. Things are...
2: As a franchise, okay, they're climbing back up that hill. They're not 40 lost teams. Started from the bottom. Now, now they're are. up higher than the bottom.
1: Now we fast forward oh, about a decade <laughs> in, nine years into uh, Seavers' career in 76, and the reported beginnings of trouble for the Mets and Seavers' relationship. A new CBA was reached, and the first iteration of baseball free agency was created. Ooh, we know all about that. Luckily enough for the Mets, they just resigned Seaver to a three year, $675,000 contract with a base salary of $225,000, making Seaver the highest paid pitcher in baseball four months before the CBA was reached. So for four months, Seaver was the highest paid pitcher. Nice. Until players started make, signing multi year contracts of over a million dollars. Oh, no. Even Seaver's former teammate, Nolan Ryan, was making a contract of over $300,000 a year with the Angels, and he wasn't scheduled to be a free agent for a few more seasons. Their GM was a very widely known, generous person with his contracts. He's like, no, you're a superstar, and (laughs) I'm going to make sure you stay here by paying you.
0: Huh. It's almost
1: as if... What a foreign concept.
0: That's how it should work. You know? you Are good at your job? I'll pay you accordingly.
1: Yeah, so Seaver and his agent... They attempted to reopen negotiations with intentions to give Seaver a pay raise to remain in line with the rest of the league's top pitchers. Makes sense. Grant became angry with these requests, as Grant was known to be a penny pincher and just very much like he would lowball contracts and be like, I'm not spending money when I don't have to. And you would read to this contract already. Classic Mr. Scrooge. Seaver was quoted talking about Grant saying, There are two things Grant said to me that I'll never forget. It illustrates the kind of person he was and the total plantation mentality he had. Never a good sign. Seaver says, during labor negotiations, he came up to me in the clubhouse once and said, what are you, some sort of communist? (laughs) Maybe. Another time, I've never, and he's like, another time, and Seaver's quoted saying, I've never told anyone this. He said to me, who do you think you are joining the Greenwich Country Club? It was incomprehensible to him if you didn't understand his feelings about your station in life. So he just continued to attack Seaver for wanting more money for everyone, and also when Seaver wanted to spend money on himself or on anything nice, he was like, no, you can't do that. You're here to play baseball. Spend your money on baseball things. So this is when tensions began to continue to build between the two of them. Seaver was the Mets' player union rep, and he was happy <coughs> seeing players making more money. But in the spring of 77... He began to become more outspoken towards the Mets' lack of attempting to sign free agents. They just finished third in the division the season before, and their biggest need was an outfielder. And as luck would have it, free agent Gary Matthews was availability signed, who is an above average hitter and outfielder, a good get to be had. Be a nice addition. And Grant and the GM, Joe McDonald, did not make an offer at all. Gary would go on and sign a five year, $1.2 million deal with the Braves. Seaver would stupid. Brave. They're braves. always there. Comes
0: around full circle.
1: Seaver would hold a press conference, an impromptu press conference, stating his frustration with the team. Just quoted saying, "How can you not even try?" He would. <laughs> Come on, guys, just try, please. Noting that the New York franchise should have had a financial advantage over other teams competing in free agency.
2: Yeah, Atlanta, you're a two-bit town, and New York could outbid you any day of the week. But we just won't, because we don't
0: want to. I feel like this is what happens, though, is like, and I don't know the details of this man's financial situation, but I feel like sometimes in those big markets, we assume the owners are super wealthy, because you have to have a lot of money to buy the team in that Mm -hmm. market, and you make a lot of money for being in that market. But sometimes, do you ever think someone's just a bad businessman, and yeah. they spend all their money to get the team, <laughs> and now Bo? they're just constantly paying off debts? The Roy Bow method.
2: Yep. Uh, maybe that
0: has something to do. Maybe he's in deep with the mob. This Ooh, is the 70s, right? That's fair. It's, mob's running New <laughs> I've York. i got debts to pay. I can't be <laughs> offering Gary Matthews money. <laughs> I only have one more good elbow. <laughs> Don't take my knees. Oh! Never catch again. <laughs>
1: While most reporters would side with Seaver and report players' frustration with the ownership, one reporter, Dick Young of the Daily News, sided (laughs) with Grant and would publish articles blasting Seaver, siding with management, calling Seaver greedy and selfish. That's fair. (laughs) And also stuck in the middle of this was Daily News beat writer Jack Lang, who'd been covering the Mets since their inception in 62, and he was a close friend of Seaver. Newly hired by the Daily News in 77... Young pulled Lang aside and told him he was free to report the Mets' Seaver situation as he saw it, stating that their arguing articles would be great for sales. So that's what happened. The Daily News would post an article titled Seaver vs. Grant, with their opposing articles posted side by side. Lang would quote Seaver saying, My unhappiness started with the contract negotiations a year and a half ago. All of a sudden, nine years of performance from the Mets was thrown out the window window. They even threatened to trade me if I didn't sign it, so I signed. While Young reported with retorted with quotes in a like in a way, Tom Seaver is like Walter O'Malley. Both are very good at what they do. Both are very deceptive in what they say, and both are very greedy.
0: An interesting comp.
1: Well, Walter O'Malley was the owner of the Dodgers, and he's the one of the ones who was brought them all across to the West Coast. And it yeah, worked it worked out. out.
0: <laughs> yeah which is why I say <laughs> an interesting comp if your <laughs> argument is trying to make Sieber look bad. Right.
2: But, yeah, no, this O'Malley here screwed over New York, so Tom Sieber's trying to do the same thing. Yeah,
0: he's probably one of those beach hippies. He's a big, meanie communist
2: who wants money for doing a job.
0: Yeah, he's, a, he's a communist that wants more personal wealth than... Pleasures. Yes.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wait.
0: What? Wait. Uh, yes, and I don't, I don't understand.
1: <laughs> Young would continue publishing art- articles, painting Seaver in a negative light all throughout the contract disputes. Lang, concerned for his friend and not wanting to him to get traded away, urged Seaver to go behind Grant's back and talk to majority owner DeRoulette Ooh. about getting a new contract with better pay along the lines of the new CBA. And on the night of June 14th, <gasps> a new contract was agreed upon, inclu- including an increased salary, and Seaver would get a three-year extension instead of just a whole new contract, where his base salary would increase to 300000 and then 400000 over the next two years.
2: Hooray, we sea- did
1: it. The Seaver end. was happy with that, and he was ready to, to continue playing for the Mets. Nice. He told Joe McDonald to cancel the trade negotiations they'd be done with the Cincinnati Reds. All right, he was ready, ready to be home? a Met.
0: Yeah, no one go to Cincinnati. Good night.
1: Then the next morning, while the Mets are playing in at Atlanta, mm. June 15th, oh, 1977, Tom Seaver walks down to the coffee shop at the bottom of the hotel they're staying at and reads the new article in the battle page written by Young. One of the final paragraphs turned out to be what Seaver calls the straw that broke the camel's back. Young's article was more vicious than any he'd written before this time, Young wrote, in, wrote discussing the difference in contracts between Seaver and his friend and former teammate, Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan makes more than Seaver now, and that galls Tom because Nancy Seaver and Ruth Nolan are very friendly, and Tom Seaver has long treated Nolan Ryan as a little brother. The inclusion of Seaver's wife was too much for Tom.
0: I would imagine. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty pretty strange. <laughs> that's always off limits, Yeah. Especially back then. (laughs) Yes. Yes.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Yes.
1: Seaver stormed back to his room, rang up Met's public relations director, Arthur Richmond, shouting, get me out of here. You hear me? Get me (laughs) out. He told Richmond to call Deroulette's daughter, Whitney, inform her that the contract deal was off and to tell Joe McDonald, everything I said last night is forgotten. So June 15th, the day of the trade deadline with minutes before midnight, three trades became official. The beginning of the midnight massacre. McDonald was forced to call back upon Reds GM Dick Wagner, reopen trade talks. They confirmed the trade they'd already basically agreed upon. Seaver would go to Cincinnati for in return for four players: pitcher Matt Pat, Zachary, second baseman Dud Flynn, and outfielders Steve Henderson and Dan Norman. The Mets also traded away their best hitter in Dave Kingman, who'd also been having some tough contract negotiations to acquire Bobby Valentine from the Padres. And the third trade, the Mets also received Joel Youngblood from the Expos for utility player Mike Phillips. In a span of a few hours, the Mets traded their best hitter, the player known as The Franchise, their first superstar, and then another important uh, utility player who played across their infield. This trio of trades would become known as the Midnight Massacre.
0: The- Trading everybody out here.
1: Yeah, they... Burn down the team.
0: Might as well. Blood in the streets.
1: <laughs> the Mets also fired their manager as the seasons began to fall apart, placing Joe Tory in charge as player
0: coach for the rest of the season. We love a player coach. We really do. But, I mean, it kind of seems unfair to fire the manager after you, you know, burned down the team. Yeah, t- trade away all the <laughs> talent. They start losing. like, what? Hey! <laughs> was it always the players? Are you just bad? <laughs> Get out of here, man. We don't need you anymore. We have a player who's ready to manage. Get up here. Yeah, well, you know, at that point, it's like, well, we're only paying one person to do two jobs. Oh, there we go. Do you go. think the player got a pay bump? What's I'm his name? So. Joe Torrey? Tor- Tor- Joe Torrey got a pay bump for taking on coaching responsibilities, managing responsibilities? I'd hope so. Probably not. I'm probably not. <laughs> given this, <laughs> given why this all happened. Yeah. It's like, you already you already worked for me. While, you already right? had a contract. Oh, yeah. I, I
2: promise we'll pay you more next season. Yeah.
1: Boink. Seaver's departure led to widespread negative fan reaction, ranging from fans <laughs> openly weeping in the streets to okay. physical okay <laughs> to physical threats to Mets management on signs displayed across the city. Yeah, that sounds like New York. Mets fans' hatred of Dick Young would carry on through the rest of Young's life. Young was inducted to the writer section of the Hall of Fame, and <laughs> he was booed constantly and he began his acceptance speech saying ladies and gentlemen and members of the tom siever fan club and it just drowned out with booze yeah i mean mm-hmm. he kind of just sounds
0: like a jerk no yeah he sounds like a dick yeah and uh ironically <laughs> that's you know his how na-
1: he, that's his name he, he spent a year Richard. and a half uh
0: <laughs> just
1: making like beating on siever for trying to renegotiate his contract to yes. get more money yeah yeah, he did the same exact thing uh, when he broke his contract to jump from the Daily Post to the Daily News.
0: Nice. Yeah, well, journalists are different, you know. Um, that's for more money. That that's like a real that's a real profession. Yeah, it's a real profession. You know what you have to do to be able to write and post something? Have integrity. You just have to know what words are. It's just. And say whatever you Yeah, want. it's like the Wikipedia without the facts. <laughs> mm, just make it I up mean, as I you know go along. I don't know what reporting is, but I really want to take this guy down a few things. Where does he live? He... Is he alive or is he no, dead? He's, dead, he's dead. dead. What? Where's he buried? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Too far. <laughs> I was going to pay my respects. Oh, okay.
2: Leave a Tom Seaver jersey on
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's happening. Oh, absolutely. <laughs>
1: With Seaver gone, Mets fortunes quickly sank as they finished in what? last place the next three seasons. And attendance would be abysmal for <laughs> decades. No
2: way. Why?
1: They wouldn't have a winning record again until 1984. Ooh. In 78, the year after this, the Mets board of directors held a meeting and relieved
0: Grant of his duties. Smart. Smart. Apt. captain <laughs> Why were you here to begin with? We've kind of forgotten at this point. Well, no one here chose you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: While Seaver was part of the Reds, uh who were at the time back-to-back World Series champions when they traded him.
0: Big Red Machine, is that yes, that time? Yes, it yeah. is the
1: Big Red Machine. Uh He would go on to win 56 games, including finally getting a no-hitter against the Cardinals in 78. Nice. Then... In the winter meetings of 1982, a miracle would happen for the Mets. They'd be able to acquire from the Cincinnati Reds pitcher Tom Seaver. Oh, boy. For just some middle-of-the-road prospects that really, they had okay careers. Uh, Seaver would would receive a huge standing ovation when he returned and pitched on opening day. The franchise had returned to the few faithful Mets fans that stuck around in those miserable (laughs) years. I'm still
0: here! (laughs) Is that... Tom, is
2: that the franchise? He's finally returned. (laughs) It's been
0: 84 years. The
2: prodigal son. (laughs) (laughs) Then,
1: in the winter of 1984, the Mets had to choose players to protect in the upcoming free agency compensation draft. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. Tom Seaver is 39 years old, so they thought nobody would want
2: him. No one's going to
1: pick a 39-year-old pitcher. (laughs) So they left him unprotected. Cool, smart. Until the Chicago White Sox said, Hey, that sounds
2: like a great idea. <laughs>
1: hey. You left him unprotected, Tom Seaver? You got we'll
2: a, take him. You got
0: a nice little franchise over there. Do you hey. mind if I uh, bring
2: us, him on over to Chicago?
0: Us White Sox are the little brother organization <laughs> of our city, too. Maybe Tom Seaver can help us out. Tom Seaver would win his 300th game
1: with the White Sox ironically, in Yankee Stadium.
2: Nice. The older
1: brother to the Mets. And he would pitch for two seasons with the White Sox before being traded to the Boston Red Sox for one year before retiring in 87. Mm. The players acquired during the Midnight Massacre turned out to be okay, average players, but none were superstars. That was Tom Seaver. Pat Zachary had won Rookie of the Year and made one All-Star appearance. But while he was a Met, he would go 41-46, and with an ERA of 3.63, 391 strikeouts before he'd be traded to the Dodgers in 82. Doug Flynn was a superb outfielder, but his batting average would exceed .250 once in his four years with the Mets. Mm. Dan Norman would never make the starting lineup in his three years as a Met, and Henderson, who was considered the major prospect in the deal, turned out to be a nice player, but not a great one. He'd hit 297, 12 homers, 65 RBIs in 99 games for them in 77. And then 10 homers, 65 the next full season, the next year. And then he'd only hit 13 in 70 and 80. And once it was clear that he wasn't going to be the superstar the Mets envisioned, he was traded to the Cubs for Dave Kingman in 81. Oh, got him back. Who they
0: traded away. Nice. Oh, baseball always comes full circle because everyone circle. plays forever. Yep.
1: When asked about the midnight Master, Seavers quoted saying, it was both the worst day of my career and the best day as I look at it now. The team was was being run into the ground by Grant. If I'd stayed once the whole face of the club had been done to change, would I have even won 300 games? As it was, I got to play with Rose and Bench in Cincinnati. I got to see the other league and got to play with Pudge, Carlton Fisk, and even got to experience the Red Sox in 86 and all that Boston energy. It would have been nice to have been a Met my whole career but I'm eternally grateful to have the experience all I did. Siever would end his career with 12 all-star appearances, a record of 311 wins to 205 losses, an ERA of 2.86 and over 3,640 strikeouts. Inducted into the hall of fame in 92 with a percentage of 98.9 votes, which was a record at the time now held by Mariano Rivera who is was the only unanimous player inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2019. That's fair, though. And that's how that's the exact. Mets burned down their relationship with their franchise in a contentious end
0: with the help of a beat writer. Classic little brother New York teams. So sad. So very sad. Now that we've presented one of the worst moves in MLB history, we feel fairly comfortable and confident in presenting our own proposals for those GMs we believe need a little amateur help. Josh, take us away. With pleasure. All right, my dear
2: GM this week goes out to Los Angeles Dodgers, President of Baseball Operations, Andrew Friedman. Mm. Hi, Andrew. Andrew, my friend, what happened? <laughs> Your Dodgers started off this season 13-2, and two, and Ooh, you look record. poised to make a deep playoff run. But now, five and a half weeks into the regular season, you lost 15 out of 21 games and five straight series. Oh, Oh You're now third in your division with a record of 19 and 17. It's not even the Padres on top of your division.
0: It's the Giants. That's embarrassing. Wait, wait. No, it's not even even year. What's happening? I I don't. Don't worry. Don't
1: worry. There's a lot of time left.
0: (laughs) It's okay.
2: It's not like your team is lacking in talent. You guys had high expectations for a reason. You can have more talent. You
0: <laughs> can always have more. There's talent. never
2: not never enough. Never not enough. Too much talent. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Now I'm not sure if you guys need to shake up your roster or just give your guys a really rousing speech, but something's <laughs> got to change. You can do it <laughs> because you guys need to start winning games. Luckily for you guys, the baseball season is impossibly long. But come on, man, you're embarrassing me. You personally? Me, personally. What's your
0: connection with the Dodgers franchise? I just like winners. Ooh. Oh, so anyone that's a loser, bar- <laughs> yeah. we have a lot of people to contact.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My dear GM goes out to the Oakland organization and owner John Fisher. Whoop, whoop. The story of the A's beginning to look for a new location broke this week. While I love the iconic look of the A's stadium and the Coliseum, it's time for an update. If you guys can't reach a new agreement with the, I guess it's the local government of Oakland to build a new stadium.
2: What government?
1: <laughs> it's anarchy there.
0: Baseball that... is the government.
1: <laughs> it's time to start looking for a new location. I think it's time to join fellow Oakland team in Las Vegas, those good old Raiders.
2: Raiders. Put the baseball diamond back it's in an iconic fields. look. Those football games where like they still have the diamond yeah. on it yes.
0: for like really no reason. Like they had the yeah. technology. Put the athletics in the Raiders' new stadium. <laughs> yes. Do it, you <laughs> cowards!
1: <laughs> I'm okay with just changing your names too. Just Las Vegas <laughs> something. But bring back through the tradition of the Oakland Coliseum part baseball, part football. We all win here. It's
2: all iconic. That's. A great idea! You, I would did love to see that. Here, they just opened like the nightclub section of the Raiders Coliseum. That's <laughs> It's nice. in the north end zone, so it's like right on the field level, and they have like gambling and like like it's That's a nightclub amazing. in the north end zone. I want to go. Mm, right? interesting, interesting. We're going. Okay. Once this podcast takes off and we make enough money, a bajillion zillions.
0: All right, do you have something to say? <clears throat> I do, actually. My dear GM actually goes out to current Seattle Mariners owner, John Stanton. John, where do I begin? Obviously, the responsibilities of the president and CEO are relatively new to you, as you only assumed them a few months ago. Your predecessor, Kevin Mather, did you no favors, starting the year off by making detrimental and racist comments about the Mariner organization.
2: Hooray! Oh,
0: baseball! (laughs) Before, you know, being forced into resigning in disgrace, as as he should. As he should. (laughs) As is just. On top of that, your club is in the midst of the longest playoff drought, not just in the MLB, but in all of professional sports. What's that? Their last time in the postseason was 2001. Ooh. So if they miss it again this year, which is looking likely, be 20 years running. Nice. nice. Which is rough. It's pretty yeah. bad. Pirates had a bad
1: stretch like that.
0: Your team has never won a World Series. In fact, they're the only team to never even appear in a World Series.
2: They got close in 95.
0: Mm, close don't cut it. <laughs>
2: it's
0: You're... also like 26 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're currently third in the AL West with a record of 18-18, and 18, and outside of a couple bright seasons from Robinson Cano, you really haven't had a franchise superstar for well over a decade. Maybe more, depending on how you rate Ichiro. You guys are mm-hmm. so bad, the city had to go and get an NHL team just to pick up the slack. <laughs> <laughs> the Current GM Jerry DiPoto... I don't know if that's how you say his name, and I frankly don't care, Ooh, because he has dude. been in charge since 2015 and has shown nothing for it. <laughs> Additionally, nice. team manager Scott surveys has been calling the shots in the clubhouse since 2016 and has a record of 366 and 378. That is just 49% win rate, Oof. and that has been steadily declining oh, in the no. later part of his years. Oh, no. <laughs> Most of it came from like a really solid first and third season. Cool. Uh, additionally, both of these guys were chosen by Mather, your predecessor. So they're not even your guys. Get your boys in there. You know, Mather, the guy that publicly disrespected and embarrassed your franchise, these are his people. Here's my advice to you. Start a new era. Ditch the dead weight of DePoto and Cervais, signal a definitive end to the Mather era, and give Seattle a reason to watch sports outside of football season. And coming hockey season in the future. And yep. whenever they get an NBA team again. Yeah, they honestly should have an NBA team. That's
2: mm-hmm.
0: doesn't even make sense. But that is the pod. If you enjoyed this or any of our other episodes, please remember to give us a like or a follow. Maybe even leave a review, a good review. If it's a bad review, just DM us and we can... We'll talk about it. We'll have at it. Just DM us if you want to hurt Wes Hoover's feelings. Ooh, oh. we love that nonsense. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you may listen to your podcasts. In the words of the Mets' first manager, Casey Stengal, quote, There are three things you can do in a baseball game. You can win, you can lose, or it can rain, unquote. Also, I feel like that's heavily featured in Bull Durham. It might be. Probably. I think Kevin Costner said this. I don't know who this is. Casey Stengali guy is But he's no Kevin Costner. He's no that's for sure. Kevin Costner. Great minor league pitcher. Uh-huh. Uh GM of the Browns. Yes. Um he builds a field where you can dream uh-huh. and meet shoeless Joe Jackson. Yes. Um other sports. I I feel like he's in a golf movie. I feel like he was in that running movie, McFarland USA. Was that him? I have no idea what you're referring to. No, it's a it's a it's a running movie, so nobody saw it. And yeah, and no one watches running <laughs> in general unless it's a hundred meters. Matt, unless it's, it's an NBA, you're star. You're investing like ten seconds maximum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Remember, this was mismanaged.
2: Bye. Bye.